You're fine just the way you are. Alone, soul-crushingly alone. <laughs> In honor of the lobster, what's the best movie that makes being single seem perfectly okay? I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with any James Bond movie, really. But I'm particularly going with Skyfall, because you know what? At the end of it, Money Penny seems pretty happy in her job, and she doesn't need to hook up with anyone. Hey, it's me, Dave of the Seven. Beetlejuice, because till death do us part should not include being stuck in the same house for all eternity with the other person. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with the first Wives Club, because you don't own me! God. Right? I was going to be really sad yeah. if you mm-hmm. had this song right now. No worries. And I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with The Martian, because he is stranded alone on a desert planet, but he seems to do okay, as long as he has... The end of the movie is how potatoes. happy they are being together. He's, a, he doesn't, he's no, not with he's, anyone, though. He's, not, he's just, that's he's just together with, like, that's He goes true. from a planet with zero women to a planet with more than three billion, so I suppose he's less single in that regard. The odds are better. And Kate Mara has a baby with a winter okay soldier. Yeah. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 118 for Tuesday, May 10th, 2016. And on this day in 1952, David has given me some foreign names that I have to pronounce. Uh, both The Tragedy <laughs> of Othello, The More of Venice by Orson Welles, got those names down, and Two Cents Worth of Hopes by Renato Castellani, tied for the Grand Prix du Festival International du Film at the Cannes Film Festival. I think that is what they Woo! were calling the Palme d'Or back then, relevant to last week's topic. But maybe not. I don't know a lot about Cannes because I've never been. Anyway, speaking of international Sound topics, envious. I heard we have uh, some international reviews to share this week to, as well. We, we do. Uh, we do. Uh, I am going to read. <laughs> what are you going to read? Um, I'm going to read two of these and one of our American reviews, and then we'll move on. Yes, these and are specifically will, from the UK, we should say. Yeah, well, yeah. We're going to read two quick American, uh, British will reviews. Will you rather, use and a British accent? Double back. Or will that, or will that alienate decide. all those British listeners and they'll never come back? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, we sir, want them I to like no us. <laughs> uh, I was just singing Ladies from Spain in a Scottish accent in my living room uh, in preparation for interviewing Terrence Davies. Wow. In <laughs> Sunset Song. Uh, so maybe we'll, we'll see. Anyway, uh, if we miss one of these British reviews, we will come back later. Uh, this I have not read before. One of the best, says James McLeod. Fighting in the war? Oh, no, no, I can't. It's one of the few podcasts <laughs> nope. I subscribe to that I'll listen to every episode, regardless of topic, and usually the day it's downloaded. Even other podcasts I love might lose me for a week or two, depending on what they're talking about, because discussion there is a bit more familiar or predictable. Fighting in the War Room always mixes it up, though, and the diversity of opinions really makes it a much more dynamic film show than most. Let's stress that Even point. talk about <laughs> film engages me more than most film podcasts, as it's not always just about what plot points people did or didn't respond to. They actually talk about the elements that make film what it is. Sure, you'll have to occasionally hear someone make a definitive statement that sounds mad. Really, David? Mission Impossible 3, the too shaky, too close TV movie is the best? (laughs) But there's always someone who will call them out or at least groan or scoff at disbelief. 
as an aside, apparently listeners across the pond appreciate the groans and scoffs. <laughs> well, no, but only when it's about your bad opinions on Mission Impossible 3. <laughs> sure. So. Whatever. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, for every wild statement made, there's an excellent one, uh, too, so it balance that, balances out. Few film podcasts would dedicate as much time to the latest hotness as they would the most recent Matthew Barney film, and that's why this is great. Also, if anything... Oh, this is tough. This show needs more Jordan Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> Agree. Don't let Make that get back to him. Oh, God. Make him a regular. Jesus. Or bring him in for every Clint Eastwood and Michael Bay review you can. I mean, fighting is in the title. I still have not recovered <laughs> 13 hours episodes. From so. your tour of duty in Benghazi. We also have a review from Catherine Orion. Which fills my heart with glee, and uh, we are a little bit late on Mother's Day, but it's appropriate. A review from my mom. I love this podcast, and each host slash contributor. Equally so, I thought my mom's opinion would be more fun, as she partly listens when I play this on long car rides. Me. Mom, who would you consider the glue on the film <laughs> podcast we listen to? Mom. Patches. Ooh. Me. Really? Hey. Mom. Yes. <laughs> Five stars. Curveball. I like this. More like the... the- the wood glue. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> um, Wait, that was not a sexual while... innuendo. The airplane Wait, glue. Wait, you're not yeah. listening to this with your mom right now, are you? <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Uh, way to go, Patches. That was now. elegant and befitting of that review. Uh, and now we're going to hop back to uh, our neck of the woods, as Al Roker would say. Uh, hopefully a reference that our British listeners wouldn't understand. Hopefully Al Roker is a... Uh, country-specific phenomenon. I cannot imagine anyone uh, cares about Al Roker. There's a lovely review by Fast Forward that we will revisit on a later date, but I really want to read, uh, let's see, this one, yes, by Fishman Facts. Uh, and I think that there are some facts in this review, if I might say so myself. Patches and Dave Seven seem like out-of-touch and miserable individuals. One star. Katie and David are okay, but wow, listening to Patches and Dave Seven rant about Civil War, they seem like such whiny, miserable people. Mm. I think uh, it's clear that Fishman Facts got all of his facts right. Completely. <laughs> <laughs> not confuse any of these hosts. No mistaken and identity now we are here. we're going to move on to the first topic of the show. Katie, take it away. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I look forward to, uh, to revisiting all of the miserable ways in which Dave considers Marvel movies. got mad when david ehrlich uh was upset with the thing that you love as a true fan guess what david found the thing that fills his heart with glee the same way that marvel movies do for normal humans david what happened to you this weekend <laughs> filled your heart with glee <laughs> well in truth it's something that's been happening you know for for almost 20 years now but uh it, it definitely crystallized in a very acute way over this weekend in the way that it does every five years or so uh, which is that Radiohead released a new album. Uh, and it, it opened my eyes like at the end of a Christmas carol to, uh, what it must be like to be a poor, wretched. You, you there, boy. <laughs> what day is it? Uh, the, I, biggest I, goose, I, the biggest goose. The biggest goose. 
I love this album. For, for all the Marvel fans. Oh, that apocalypse is coming up. Best put on my Sunday best. Tiny Dave 7. Tiny Dave 7. Sit on my lap. I finally understand. It truly is the best Christmas day. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> wow, that, that last one. You guys really, did not plan that as far as I know. <laughs> um, I, I have been... Radiohead has been my favorite band for... for an obscenely long time for anything to be anyone's favorite anything and uh it's 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 something that i think makes the band unique not just that they're my favorite but that they have the capacity to do that as somebody grows up and recognizes very little of themselves almost two decades down the down the road and uh radiohead as i I tweeted are sort of the all-time masters of the uh i i wrote a thing uh (laughs) means of of self-promotion by which i mean now having sort of created this whole idea of releasing music over the internet uh, out of the blue with In Rainbows in 2007 have really sort of perfected this whole, like, yeah, we know that we are the most respected rock band of the last 30 years, but like, oh, look, we have a new album. You could buy it if you like. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> British, like, too. It's a yeah, modesty. It's on our website. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a sort of adorable. Um, and uh, so over the last week, as many of you probably will know by now, certainly our British listeners, I would imagine, they finally released uh at first a tantalizing glimpse of the song burn the witch that has been part of radiohead lore for many years and the lore is what i'm going to be talking about here in this segment uh and then the song and then two days later another song with a video that happened to be directed by paul thomas anderson uh and then the announcement of their ninth album a moon shaped pool the title which was revealed on sunday when they released it uh and with a number of songs that had also been uh sort of taken on a certain legend with Radiohead fans over the years. And it was in that moment, sort of anxiously anticipating Sunday, fleeing out of my Mother's Day brunch uh, to my own shame, like a 16-year-old kid all over again, uh, when the album was said to have uh, come online a few minutes early <laughs> um, and racing to my computer. The uh, It... it it sort of got me out of my own headspace and connected me with the fandom that I have for absolutely nothing else. And maybe that's in large part because it started at such a young age for me. Uh, and it was supposed to form When, when it, did it, it start? When Do you remember the first time that you like, heard Radiohead? I don't. Uh, it was really early in high school. Or it was probably before high school, uh, like seventh grade or so. But yeah, I do okay remember computer vividly. Came out like, when we were in middle school. So. In 1997, yeah. yeah, when I was 13. Uh, but I wasn't like super hip i was listening to whatever my sister was listening to which was like a lot of dave matthews and stuff like that and uh um but i i remember vividly the summer of 2003 when i remember i must have been already obsessed with radiohead by then because i cut school to go to tower records to buy hail to the thief and then saw them five times that summer and it like totally changed my life but i must have already been a huge fan um but thinking about it in 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 between, like while writing my review of the new X-Men movie, which has less, fewer fans than Civil War, but in the immediate wake of Civil War, and thinking about how someone like Dave connects with these characters and how, like, allusions to, uh, other characters in these universes or, or what they could mean, these little details in these movies that I scoff at, um, un- like waiting for that track list to drop. And then when it did, like, a song like True Love Waits was the last song on it. And, and those three words to any, self-respecting even casual fan of radiohead are uh loaded um and and uh, the band is known for their ability to sort of perpetuate their own myth and so that plays into it but uh it, it 
it was a it stoked a part of me like a lizard brain part of me that i think uh is the exact same part of the brain that is activated by uh superhero movie fandom or, or really like game of thrones fandom or whatever it is that that in every other topic uh i am sort well, of horrified material by. obsession on some level right like it's it's something tangible that you're craving or that it's like a that it's a craving of the familiar that it's like loving something not just because of what it's giving to you aesthetically on its own terms but because it's part of a whole that you embrace beyond what you know it's different from david loving carol it's david loving the entire output of this one thing and kind of like being welcomed back into the fold when it comes back yeah and there's a defensiveness to that like i you know we've seen i marvel at pun intended the uh defensiveness of the Captain America fans, for example, who come out of the woodwork, and certainly the DC people, uh, to you know threaten everyone who doesn't like their movies. And I found myself today, you know, obviously I am a civilized human being, uh, and so I would never uh, go after someone vociferously just because they didn't. You know, I can mm-hmm. be combative in, in, in I can, you know, I can be combative with my own opinion, but I'm not going to be like. <laughs> I'm not going to say the things that we know are said to us. Um, and, you won't but I Twitter search today, like, for people knocking it just so you can tell exactly, them that. Yeah, you may, exactly. go, you may ser- go over the line on Twitter to people you 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 know. <laughs> yes, that's very different. But uh, um, And not they're not ad hominem attacks, more just like variations on you're wrong and you're stupid for being wrong. But um, no, I found myself today wanting to, like searching for early reviews of this album for uh, i which i have responded to very warmly um for validation in much the same way that and the difference for me is that i already have heard the album rather than people who get on critics who've given negative reviews to things they haven't seen yet and like they, but like True, still, but that, that same... comes there's a second wave of that where people have seen the movie and they and, and i think we'll run into this uh later on this episode in fact where people see something as objectively good because they're obsessed sure. with it and because sure. it's coming from a lineage of the same type of sounds or the same types of visuals, mm-hmm. story, uh, and then they see it as, well, everyone else loves it. How can you not? You're, you're wrong. And do you feel yeah, that defensiveness? Like, the... like if it's I told you that I'm not a big else. Radiohead fan, I never have been, and the songs that I've heard off this album are kind of like... Same, same old, same old. And while I think that they're, they're interesting, <laughs> they, they, they kind of run together in a, uh, film score-ish way to me. They, I could see them well, put against there, video. There's and there's a lot of, uh, Johnny Greenwood's time composing for, and Nigel. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yes. Nigel Godrich has been involved with a lot of films, and Johnny Greenwood sure. who's been composing for Paul Thomas Anderson for a few years, among other contemporary composition work that he's been doing, certainly has run amok. Uh, with the music here and the orchestral, none stuff. of it, none of it gets uh, under my beautiful. skin. But no, but I reason. think that like the, you know, the, the idea <laughs> is that like I, um, I I have an investment in the the over the larger story of this band. I mean, like they came off what is agreed upon. I I again have a special place for it in my heart, but uh, a, a disappointing eighth album, The King of Limbs, a few years ago. And there are, there's so much riding on this album in terms of their legacy. How are they going to be remembered? Are they really going to be, um, I happen to think their sort of reputation is in the rock world, musical world, uh, has been cemented, but you don't want to be another, you don't want your favorite band who's been so instrumental to who you are, uh, to sort of, you know, shuffle off into oblivion. You, you want them to continue releasing strong things, uh, and and so I think that there's a huge investment and an emotional investment, not just in your own response to it, right. but in the 
um, the overall response to it. And in that way, for better or worse, I definitely had a better understanding where someone did, like Dave was coming from with his movie stuff. Dave, do, can you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, Dave, about? does this oh, sound yeah, like familiar language to you? Yeah, I mean, it, especially because of something like True Love Waits and some of the other tracks having been like rumored for some time. And then like the fact that just an album is sort of like a build of anticipation with somebody like Radiohead who's just going to release it like when they're done. I mean, it's the same thing that finds weird outlets in me where it's like Civil War comes out. So not only do I, you know, go see it in theaters by myself to enjoy it, but I, like, come home and buy some, like, Spider-Man figures online just to, like, get it all done with myself and, like, research original Steve Ditko designs. There's something that about David, how David enjoys Radiohead where I think it sounds like it's, like, a natural, like, geek's passion for as much information they can have to be well-informed on a topic when it finally collides with the thing that you've loved long enough to have intimate knowledge of everything leading up to that point yeah. is always great. So that's why something like, you know, Civil War gets me really excited because it's like building on 12 movies that I could be like warm or cold on, but they were building to something. And when we finally got it's, there, I yeah. felt like it was speaking my language. To it's me. like true love. The what you both are describing here is like, Knowing where this person came from and knowing all other intimate details and their secrets. And then the one, you know, they come around, they come in person and, and you fall, you're absolutely smitten. This is, this is like a relationship you're talking about. <laughs> but, but how much nicer would it be if Marvel movies followed the Radiohead model of saying absolutely nothing for five years and then. But people are always talking about Radiohead. They're always talking about when will the album come. They're not That's necessarily true. self-promoting, yeah, but, not but. at the expense of listening to other. Music no, this is you following. drunk on the Radiohead mythos. This is your, your. Well, I'm also not like any. super, like I'm a big music fan, but in my social circles, I don't follow a lot of music people on Twitter. Like I'm not, I I don't really. Uh, for me, it's very much on the periphery until it's it's center stage. But I do think that like if you go to Pitchfork, for example, they'll report a story whenever there's a fart about new Radiohead music. But it's like one of seventy three stories that day. It's very sporadic. Well, it's true um, of a lot of places really... reporting on Marvel rumors too. Yeah. Uh, I think I think you have Marvel less... in your crosshairs when it comes to this topic because it's not as pervasive as you think it is. But the people you talk to and the people you follow are obsessed with it and you have gone out of your way not to follow the Radiohead chatter, which exists. So you could be drowning in what you're describing Marvel-wise, but for the thing that you love. Uh, I don't know if it's a complete one-to-one corollary, but I'll, I'll, pin, I'll put a button in that I'll for take now. it from Matt Patches, that, the world expert now. on buzz that may or may not exist if you don't know about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. This. Wait, am I obsessed? Oh, I no. don't even know what you're referencing. Just how you avoided Star Wars for a full year, and therefore had a you you, oh. you are aware of where Buzz does and does not exist on the internet. Oh, I thought you were taking a dig at him about Hamilton for how <laughs> like if it, the Buzz wasn't palpable to no. him, then it must not, not be everything. Right. Not <laughs> Let's not go back to that conversation. But that is completely uh, a wrong identification of where I was coming from with Hamilton. Okay. Star Wars, much more apt. Fighting words. <laughs>
I believe a, a lot of you saw Captain America Civil War over the weekend. It seems to have been a, a popular topic. And uh, a number of you listened to our discussion of that movie because, you know, when it's a Marvel movie, we can't resist talking about it. And uh, I felt good about the review. I felt like I got my points across is that I liked this movie just fine and enjoyed it and would happily see it again. And Dave and I were kind of on the same team. But it seems that a lot of you thought that Dave and I got bowled over by the bullies, Matt Patches and David Ehrlich, who... Uh, couldn't hide their Marvel contempt. And uh, I mean, I think this happens a lot of the time whenever we disagree on a big movie, like a Marvel movie, like the people who love it really just uh, get really frustrated by having the negative opinions kind of take the stage, which I think happens when you've got, I don't know, when you've got people who are chiming in on a movie that a lot of people have talked about, the negativity can kind of take over because that's the less commonly heard voice. I don't know, Dave, did you feel like you got bowled over in this conversation? I actually felt pretty good. I mean, I don't think like I didn't get a chance to represent my opinion. I maybe should have rebutted more, which I think is what people are sort of kicking mm-hmm. against, is that they felt like... <laughs> they wanted the Civil uh, like, War. Shut yeah, up, Patches. Yeah, like, it's not your turn. Oh, whoops. There. No, no, yeah. there right? Hey, now, now. Hey, now. That's what you want, right? Dave and Katie are talking about Marvel Civil War. <laughs> um, I, th- I feel like we both, you and I, Katie, both had, you know, obviously valid opinions and, in our view, correct opinions, but just we didn't talk as long to, you know, uh, uh, point out the things that we felt were wrong about it, because I guess maybe there weren't that many wrong things, and we didn't spend a whole bunch of time patting it on the back. At least I felt like this movie does a pretty good job of speaking for itself, and in terms of the responding comments we've gotten from people who were, you know, mad that we didn't defend it more, uh, a lot that you could find at Mm fightinginthewarroom.com if you click on our Civil War review and scroll down. A lot of them have gotten very detailed into things that uh, they thought were obviously making Civil War the, not only the best Marvel movie, but maybe the best superhero movie, maybe even the best splash page sequence in any medium ever. Wait, wait, what's the uh, splash page se- sequence? Uh, that's like, you know, a, a big superhero oh, fight okay. to, between like different... The, anyway, the, superhero fight. the important thing, I guess, being is that like, I feel like this movie is going to do pretty well for itself and pretty well for the people who understand it. And I think that our, you know, podcast represented a bunch of opinions, but it wasn't, you know, equal time because that law doesn't really exist anymore. Thanks, <laughs> government. Well, there's also a point where, like, I think a lot of the conversation was like, uh, the, introdu- the introduction of Black Panther was good. No, it was bad. And the way that we were structuring the review, we weren't really getting into like the beat by beat conversation. Part of which was because I had seen the movie, you know, almost a month ago at this point and couldn't really remember that many details to back up my argument. But I did think the introduction of Black Panther was good, even if Patches and David thought it was bad. And kind of at, at a certain point, like that argument isn't going to go anywhere if you're just going to kind of yell back and forth at each other, uh, which maybe is why I was more willing to just kind of abandon it and be like, all right, they think that and I think this, which is something I can do a lot in reviews like this. But it was good. For yeah, the and they're doing a really good job. Good job now of not like butting in. So I'm going to keep going. <laughs> and really saying, like, I've I've seen trying. I've I've left the room. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the I've seen the movie since our review segment, and you know, done things like count how many times pan pipes come up in the score, and I'll be saving all those you know details for when Joanna Robinson and I get to talk about it in the Thought Bubble, where you know, in a room without without dissenting voices. Wait, maybe ha- maybe Joanna hated it. No, but how know. many times do pan flutes come up on the score? <clears throat> Twice. <laughs> Ooh. Every time Black Panther shows up in his nope, suit. just twice. Just Ooh. twice. Once when Black Panther peeks out from behind the car when Captain America's driving it, and the other time when Black <laughs> Panther jumps through a sunbeam on the tarmac at the airport. 
But never again with Black Panther. Just too, those two moments. Too many. Wait, can I ask you guys a question? Let me to to wrap this up. I thought it was interesting. One of our commenters on FightingTheRoom.com left a message that was basically not not lambasting us for not liking this movie, but uh, taking us to task for not being able to see that we are the X factor in in the negativity that we. It's not that the movie is bad. But that the majority of, of, or the critical consensus is Captain America: Civil War is a good movie. So what I should look inward and find out what's wrong with me? Why didn't I like this movie? Hmm. Um, do you feel like that is the case ever with with movies that that you've uh, been in the minority on something and it's it's your problem that you have to overcome or I sometimes work I, through? I, I, I wouldn't say problem, but I've definitely had that thought, being like I'm the outlier. Why? Is this working for other people? And I had this with Carol for a lot, a lot of it. And then, you know, we all talked about it. And I think, you know, in, in our weird case, David was the outlier and having out not love for it. But it's, yeah, I mean, when something like that doesn't hit me the way it hits other people, I don't think it's a problem, but I think it's interesting to think about. Yeah, That's, I, definitely I think totally like, agree. Yeah, the Go. assumption that there's some sort of negativity in you that, like, twists your opinion, I don't think is correct. But... I think it's always a good question to ask yourself if you're, you know, against the, what seems to be the popular opinion instead of getting mad at people, but instead of looking back at the thing and being like, am I missing something? And to be clear, are either of you guys mad yeah, at people I... for liking Civil War? No. I mean, <laughs> I am the variable in enjoying Captain America Civil War, but that doesn't mean I'm wrong because there's no right and wrong, right? But I can figure out why I liked it and explain it to people and talk about yeah. the movie. I mean, it may sound objective, but it's because we're talking about tangible elements in the in the film. We're talking about it's tricky action when you're talking and about, how we're watching it. It's tricky when you're talking about art. When you're when 99 people are telling you that global warming is real <laughs> and you are disagreeing with them, the problem is For the record, David does not think uh, it is real. No. Well, uh, no, quite... Uh, right, exactly. Uh, but uh, I think with art, with art, sometimes the one voice in the 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 fish going the other way against the school and thinking of motivational posters now um, can can be the one who saves us all. So it's really on a case by case basis and depending on the argument that you're making. But I certainly don't think that the the it's a my problem here is the pr word problem. I mean, it's not that it's a problem is with us if we don't like this movie and that makes us outliers. It's that. It could certainly be from within us. I think all of these responses to art come from within and are, uh, you know, telling of the people who have them. But it's not necessarily a problem. It's just a matter of perspective. I, I think of when I, when I was on the other side of this and I didn't like Guardians of the Galaxy that much. Like, I thought it was fine. And Patches, I think you said last week that you hated it, which was a stronger opinion than I remembered you having. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, not, it's not that fun to be, like, out of the out in the cold and other people are no. enjoying something. And I wanted to enjoy Guardians more, but... It's kind of interesting to see how, like, a year later that opinion kind of change and morph. If anything, I think people love Guardians more. Um, I'm curious if Civil War will have the same treatment or if it will fade. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I guess I'm just bummed because I love Captain America First Avenger. That probably has something to do with my the, the fury or the passion behind our arguments in the review. Um, so I'm kind of disappointed that we're not watching Captain America movies anymore. We're watching mini Avenger movies. You just reminded me to go Nick, back into Nick the Fury isn't in this movie. 
Yeah, yeah where's he? What was he doing? Oh, wow, yeah. Maybe he's with Thor. And hey, if I listen to some music podcast that I liked and I, I enjoyed listening to it and the people on it and the new Radiohead album came out and they just shat all over <laughs> it for 40 minutes, I'd probably be, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to help myself from being upset. I, I really want to see your angry comments when that music podcast happens. Just just let mm. me know. Uh, <laughs> anyway, this is proof that we read all of your comments on fightinginthewarroom.com, so please keep leaving them. And uh, we are uh, we will endeavor not to talk over each other so much, I guess. It's a, a constant goal when it's for That's a production talking. problem. You're all wrong. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Mark the release of Money Monster, which is a, a movie that I saw someone tweet that it would be way better, way better if the title were literal, which I can't disagree with. Uh, I'm the only person who's seen it uh, so far as we talk. We'll talk about it later this week. But uh, so I don't want to talk about the movie in too much detail, but it's a kind of an interesting and it would seemingly be odd, but it's more and more common phenomenon where it is this movie with two huge movie stars, George Clooney and Julia Roberts, that. I don't know what the official box office projections are, but it's certainly not going to make more money than Captain America Civil War. It, you know, may not make more money than the horror movie that's coming out alongside it this weekend, The Darkness, which I know absolutely nothing about. <laughs> not um, being screened for critics, starring yeah. Kevin Bacon, Blumhouse. And it has nothing to do with the uh, modern metal band, The Darkness, which would make it really interesting. Oh, God, I wish it did. I, know. <laughs> I really wish it did, too. Um, but it, I mean, when we, I believe in a thing called the that, Cherokee marching down the trail of tears. I'm so glad I brought up this tangent. This was so worth it. Oh, that was Europe, not the darkness. No, but I liked your about, interpretation. Let's talk about hair bands, hair bands instead. Now sing a Bacon Brothers song, anyway. Wow. I was at I was at Foxwoods once when the Bacon Brothers were playing. Did you stay to listen to them? The Bacon Brothers are your Ooh. second Radiohead. So is the fact that you guys want to talk about the Bacon Brothers and not Money Monster indicative of my larger point, which is that nobody cares about movies that have movie stars in them anymore? Like, is, am, I, am I correct in my assumption that Money Monster is going to kind of come and go and make zero difference in the world, despite, you know, starring Julia Roberts, who could open movies to $50 million for decades? Yeah, not you recently. Are correct. I mean, yeah, I mean, do you want to parlay this conversation into a larger conversation about how there aren't any movie stars well, anymore. I, I find myself um, constantly that sort of an in that conversation, and I don't know if that's like my vanity fairness, or I feel like movie stars matter and nobody else does. Like, it I, is, but we enjoy talking this? about it with you. Like, does anyone care that there are no movie stars anymore, other than people like me? Like, does any single moviegoer care whether or not George Clooney can open a movie? No, but they uh, think they do. Like Marvel fans, let's go back to Marvel fans. They're the yeah. perfect example. They think Chris Hemsworth is a star and they think Chris Evans do they? is a star but none of these people no, are famous I think that and Marvel movies are the, Marvel, are the wait, stars wait who thinks they're a star Marvel fans or Marvel Marvel fans think the stars of Marvel movies are movie stars but they're not movie stars the movies themselves are the celebrities I don't know if that's true I think that there was a time I wrote an article the other day about when 
Alden Ehrenreich was cast as the new yeah. Han Solo. That was how I learned sort of that, that it happened, we by the about. way. I took last Friday off, so I oh, yeah. was really late to the news. I was like, David broke the news to me about the new Han Solo. Although that's not technically official, right? That's oh, really? still in the works. No, it hasn't been announced not, officially. They yet. did put um, it in the New York and, Times magazine. Well, that was surprising. Anyway. Yeah, and my, my article was sort of just about how that's the new normal now. That I mean, a lot of people, even in the film industry, didn't know who Alden Ehrenreich was, uh, let alone people who don't have to see a Hail Caesar out of professional obligation or beautiful creatures or what have you. Um, Tetro, wasn't certainly he in? Tetro. Have, yeah, Tetro, yeah. That's the, the most obscure of that the references. Debut. And uh, can't even spell his name. And he's going to be Han Solo. And I, you see that in the Marvel movie as well, in the Marvel movies as well, where Hollywood is less interested in uh, in sort of working with movie stars anymore uh, so much as it is in making them because the, they're so inextricably tied to the brand that that is where their stardom is. It's a symbiotic relationship to the actor and the property. And then you take Chris Hemsworth out of the Marvel universe, for exactly, for example, and you put him in, in the heart of the sea or Black Hat or Rush. Huntsman, the Winter's War or Rush. Uh, wow, that guy for him. <laughs> hey, he Rush is, is a great a symbol. movie. I loved Rush. Rush is a, Rush is Fellow a good movie, Marvel star Daniel Bull. And I love Black Hat. I love Black Hat. But he is a symbol of this new Hollywood where he is Thor. You put him in a movie, you call it Thor. It's not going to open to as much as Captain America, but it's still going to open just fine, uh, and by even by modern Hollywood standards. But if you take him out of that, nobody wants to follow because they, they need – it's like a chemical reaction. They need the brand. They need the actor. They need to cement the two, and that's that. I don't know who is going to be cast as Captain Marvel, for example, but I promise you that you pr- most people probably haven't heard of her and – Almost everyone won't be interested in seeing what she does after she does. Did Captain you know Marvel. that the 2012 Red Dawn remake starring Chris Hemsworth opened to more than in the heart of the sea? That is wow, heartbreaking. The what? Which they- sat yeah. on the shelf for like two, three years. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wait, wait. Which, Red Dawn. Which Red Dawn. Also oh, in wow. also oh, Captain wow. Woods. <laughs> anyway, tangent. Oh right. Uh yeah. So yeah, no one cares. Who are the stars of any of these movies? But the question for me is like, when you say Marvel is making these stars, are they making them stars or are they making this character? And then, I mean, what does Marvel care if any of these people actually become stars? It's kind of in their best interest for them not to, so they don't get paid more, like Robert Downey Jr., who yeah. like, has like half the budget of a given Avengers movie. And he's still well, in them, their, so. They that's learned their story. lesson there. Yeah, yeah I mean. It, yeah, I mean, they, yeah. Well, no, yeah, on. does Robert Downey Jr. making $50 million a movie prove that like, there's one star left and it's him? <laughs> In those movies, maybe. I mean, I think that, you know, Chris Chris Evans can't uh, open no. a movie. Chris Evans star, Chris Evans direct, I mean, it's a smaller budget movie, so it has no expectation to make very much money. But even when he directed a movie, uh, <laughs> like Chris, Chris Evans, it was, it was so under He didn't radar. tweet he, enough. Once upon a time. He didn't. I mean, once upon a time, this would have meant something. Uh, and now it, it doesn't. And I think you see that, you know, Money Monster is a movie that wouldn't have gotten made without two megawatt stars like Julie Roberts and George Clooney in it. And now that it's made, it still won't it's probably not going to make very much money. Um, this is the world we live in. It's this well, This is a symptom of and then I'll pass the mic. It's a symptom of uh, the mid budget filmmaking sort of falling out of the middle i mean now we have mega blockbusters and we have straight to vod stuff and uh and there's just a barren wasteland in between and that is why the star system has sort of imploded well katie in our in our kind of preparation for this segment you posed maybe an even more interesting question than like 
movie stars still around, which is, do we need movie stars? Do we lose something when the star system dies? Which now I, I'm talking about Star Wars or something. Um, <laughs> when Alderaan is just, when dies. blown up. Yes, when all of our Alderaans are blown up by the Death Star machine of um, commerce. But no, seriously, do we do we lose something uh, when well, I think the stars we, fade away? I think we do lose that, those mid-budget movies that David's talking about because the only way those movies do get made is when there's the perception that there's a star who can get it financed. And that is that goes for movies like Money Monster and, <laughs> to bring it up again, movies like Carol. Like, you know, the movies that are coming out even in award season or even like really tiny indies that do wind up on VOD will only get made if someone who has been but on a TV show. these movies are being made. Uh, yeah, so but if the star system continues to die and these movies are only getting financed on the power of some remaining perception of what a star is, like they won't be for much longer. They have to have some other reason to exist. Well, they're being made on the perception that they'll win awards, not that they well, are, are. star-driven pictures that are going to make lots of money because Kate Blanchett is in them. Well, right? but I mean, but that's how you're it's selling enough them to make overseas. me glad. Sorry, David. Right. It's enough to make me glad for uh, Oscar season because that's the only time of year where it's the only it's not just the time of year. It's the only mechanism by which we get these movies now, because uh, while foreign markets are still making them somewhat reliably uh, and we can import quality dramas and things of that nature, uh, it's really movies like Carol only get made because they can play their part in the Oscar machinery. Or to think of like so, a, a more recent example, like Green Room. Like that's a movie that's not being made for Oscar movies, but that movie only got made because they could get Patrick Stewart and maybe, you know, who's the other kid who's in it? Uh, Ali Shawkat. Anton like, Yelkin. But probably Patrick Stewart. This movie is not being made because they got these actors. I mean, you don't think so? It's not resting on the shoulders of one, of Patrick Stewart. You don't now, think that's how they got financed? Sir Patrick Stewart, I should say. No, th- it definitely got financed because he landed Patrick Stewart and other people were latching onto it. But these are not big stars who are going to sell the movie. These are good actors who are going to make the movie good. <laughs> you no, know but what it's I mean? both. Uh, Blue Ruin can't open to a thousand theaters without some name in it besides Megan Blair. So Patrick Stewart will get a few more people. He'll tweet about it a little, and that's worth throwing money at Green Room. But these are not mega stars, and they're, it's certainly not emulating the, the mid-level uh, blockbuster, the mid-level studio picture that you're talking about. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm actually wondering what reasons. you th- are... Uh, they're not I, made I for the same buck against the whole idea that the star system's dead. I think Patches is right that the mega star system's dead, but otherwise the focus has just shifted. So there's just more options for actual actors to get out there and if they could tie themselves to an audience, be it through, you know, like TV, we have goddamn music crossovers, they could make a movie, any way they get themselves out there, YouTube star hasn't happened successfully yet, but it's going to happen at some point in the future, we're going to find like an Oscar winning YouTube star, is like, then when they cross over, then you have like weird things, like last night, Java watched, Java's my girlfriend, For if you're new to the podcast, uh, we watched... Uh, high rise and i was like oh man people who come to this movie to see loki in like a you know british uh movie are gonna be freaked the fuck out when they actually see high rise and then she watched i think it's lost river it's ryan gosling's directed movie that's like crazy apparently crazy and matt smith plays like a crazy dude who likes to cut people's mouths with like scissors and I'm like, you just watched that because it was a Ryan Gosling movie. But she, you know, got found a four-way in a Cronenbergian weird independent film, like kind of with both of them to a certain extent. 
because you know we've followed a star there so if i think about it i don't watch new things unless there's somebody i recognize in it but the breadth of people that i recognize aren't any more like those are the two guys from lethal weapon or that's julia roberts i've seen her in everything it's more like this is the every this is the like every person that has been on tv shows i like for four seasons (laughs) and he's finally in a movie I, i really like dave's generous take on star system and and sort of uh rejiggering the definition of stardom down a few notches to make it maybe more egalitarian more available uh even if every star sort of has a lesser pull than they once did and he's right i mean it's talking mega stars really leonardo dicaprio and maybe tom cruise in the western world are, are the only ones who qualify i was at uh, but i also think that like the attention seems so scattered these days amongst Kids, younger people, I don't know. I was at the Montclair Film Festival this weekend in New Jersey uh, on a jury there. I had a wonderful time. It's an excellent film festival. I was talking to a young kid, uh, who a young African-American kid who was talking about his favorite movies, and he had a hard time remembering Will Smith's name. And he's the kid who's, like, into film, like, wants to write about film. And, it you know, it certainly didn't hold it against him, but and he got there eventually. But it really sort of struck me, not just that I'm incredibly old and that we need to reckon with how fast the world is moving, but I, I don't know. I just think that, like, the, the definition of stardom uh, seems so... It's so much more fleeting now. Maybe it's in the Snapchat world. I mean, the idea of a megawatted star is less appealing to a new generation because they want smaller, you know, more ephemeral. Well, to to bring it back to to Money Monster, like this movie also stars Jack O'Connell, who was kind of tipped for stardom when he got cast in Unbroken, Angelina Jolie's movie, which was not did not make a star of anyone for reasons that have nothing to do with him. But I like, does he have the opportunity to become a star uh, if, unless he gets cast in a Marvel movie? Like, is that avenue just totally no. closed? Well, see, that avenue is a remnant from back when the stars had even less control over what was quote unquote sure, star yeah. power, which was just a way to move eyeballs to different movies that the studios wanted you mm-hmm. to move on to. Now that they've you know developed the franchise like when capitalism developed like a corporation they have like a faceless thing that could just absorb money and move forward so they don't they could plug that hole with stars i mean the, but because it's like yeah you're not going to get any like big block you're not going to get a bunch of big blockbusters like money monster that have actual budgets and you know huge stars invested in them but i think you do have like a rising number of access and because it's so hard to get a large number of eyeballs, there's more value in a smaller number of eyeballs if they're concentrated enough and you could prove that you could move them. So I don't think like, I think it's all just been redistributed by capitalism, which I think is <laughs> who started some, it to begin with. At the beginning. We, yeah. we touched a little on this um, when we talked about Huntsman with our pal Joe mm-hmm. Reed, but I found myself, in uh, a feud with him on Twitter. And when I say feud, I mean we're No, you, you killed him, I think. Nonsense. But here is here's the major debate. Is Emily Blunt Oh yeah, famous? Joe got really mad at you about this. Why did he get so oh, mad yeah. at me? Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before before I know who was on what side cuz I don't I I want to Okay. Wanna okay. Is this. Emily Blunt famous? See, she is definitely the perfect example for this question in the here and now. <laughs> Uh, because she, it's really in that middle ground. Um, and I think it would probably help my argument about the star system being dead to say that she isn't famous, but 
Wait, what side do you think maybe I'm she, on? I don't know, but maybe she isn't famous. She's not famous. Think, the answer is she yeah, is not famous. That's a really hard one. She's more famous than she's more famous than I am. <laughs> That's true. But That's I'm true. not famous. Well, I don't she's know. More, Compared know, to Twitter, she's more famous. She's more famous than uh, than anyone I know. But is she like she's famous to me? If she were standing next to uh, Chris Hemsworth, I would be like, there are two famous people, not one famous person and Emily Blunt. <laughs> but in a vacuum, if I went, if I got off a, if I were talking to somebody in a diner in the middle oh, yeah. of America, and we all love how I know to pick on middle America, and I, uh, you know, was trying to make small talk with somebody sitting next to me, and a commercial for a Huntsman came on, and I was like, hey, I, I, would I say, would I assume that they knew who I was talking about if I just went, I, I love that Emily Blunt. Or like, like if we all called <laughs> I, our moms I right think now so. and said, who is Emily Blunt? Like, how many of our moms yeah. know? No, my mom would not know. Sorry, mom. But no, but mine. no. if you called your mom and said, hey, the girl who was the assistant in, assistant in Devil Wears Prada is in this movie coming up, would she be more interested in it? Because she does have no, one famous role. No. Like, she's got a definitively famous role in a hit movie. If you if you told my mom, hey, the assistant from Devil Wears Prada is in this movie, she'd say, I love Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> but maybe she'd... <laughs> my mom would wow. say, oh, Anne Hathaway. <laughs> yup. <laughs> but see, like... Yeah, once upon a time, I feel like that at the Emily Blunt type, or at least the person who is, and I don't mean that in a physical way, I mean like who is occupying that kind of career is the occasional leading lady, usually playing second fiddle to a man, um, would have been someone that, I don't know, I think would have had slightly more right. power. To, I guess to, uh, to, put it, more... to put it in the context of what I've been saying in this segment, if I was somebody that had $30 million dollars, and I could make one movie, and a people came to me with a whole bunch of scripts, and someone came to me with a script and said, and this one, we've got Emily Blunt interested. I would know exactly what type of movie that person was making. And I don't know if that's, but, like, Emily, sad or not, but it's, like, We should just weird, say Emily like, Blunt is a great actor. Yeah. I really like Emily oh, Blunt. Oh, yeah, yeah, she's wonderful. No. Um, and it's a shame that she can't be in better movies, because I think that she's sort of lost in that limbo of... of Quasi-fame. But don't you think she's kind of <laughs> like Julia Roberts? Like, think about Julia Roberts' movies in the, oh, the yeah, late yeah, yeah. 90s. When when Katie mentioned Shh. the mid-level or the mid-budget uh, Hollywood picture, I'm thinking of, like, Conspiracy mm-hmm. Theory. A movie I don't necessarily need to see made today. Not a good mm-hmm. movie, but just, like, we can pump them out because Julia Roberts in it. And let's see what she does this time. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Emily Blunt is in uh, The Girl yeah, in the Train, right? So, like, that's sort of... Um, that's that sort of version of She's really theory. assuming her position. <laughs> yeah, but I think that you know the, the the currency has changed. Emily Blunt, if she went off type and played, uh, you know, did a movie that cost a million dollars and was like a by a, a really promising director and it had an important story to tell and it was submitted to Sundance, it would very you likely mean like get sunshine into cleaning and <laughs> sunshine <laughs> cleaning again? the movie yeah. like Amy sunshine Alice? cleaning. Yeah. Okay, so like, yeah, so that's a, a touche. <laughs> I mean, it did. I, mean, uh, and, <laughs> I think but Rudy sunshine, got in the Sundance. Yes. You're absolutely right. I mean, and that's why I've said touche. I mean, like, you know, point taken. Uh, but Sunshine Cleaning no. wasn't very good. But I'm saying that, like, she could get that. She got, maybe it proves my point. She got Sunshine Cleaning into Sundance. And she had, that's a power of a different kind. It's the power that she possesses. It is not nothing to build off your whatever degree of stardom. <laughs> to get a movie into the conversation like that. And then if the movie's good, if people like it, 
they'll take it the rest of the way and who knows what could happen. Well, the, the other, um, the so other example I was thinking of in the same realm was Olivia yeah. Wilde who got Drinking Buddies. Uh, and I don't remember if it was at Sundance, but kind of got attention for it beyond what Joe Swanberg movies had done before. And the movie was a decent sized VOD hit, a lot on the power of Olivia Wilde. Somehow being famous despite no one ever having seen Tron. I, I still haven't really quite figured that out. You know why Olivia Wilde is famous because the she CW. was a princess. No. Oh yeah, she was She's married. Royalty. She was married to a prince. That's the other thing that matters in this conversation. Beyond really? like what does that what Katie does. Yes, it does matter. What Katie what? does, what Vanity Fair writes about is important. It's celebrity gossip. The scope of what you do. Yeah, what you do in in film, it's Wait, what you do with uh, your uh, life outside of it. I, I yes, think, that, that's I think what Max I was saying. Is absolutely right, but I don't think that he's right in the case of Olivia Wilde. Yeah, the, no, not yeah. A, the fact that she got them confused maybe oh, says Olivia everything. Olivia Munn is definitely no. Olivia Munn might be famous, but she's. I mean, I think she came up through TV playing attractive lesbians, yeah. but that might just be a different perspective from having watched television. But either way, that's what I was saying. Is like this sort of thing's like diversified, so she doesn't have the Emily Blunt power. But she has the power to bring some more eyeballs to VOD because she came up through TV and, you know, did her, like, other things. She wasn't picked by somebody and made by somebody. She wasn't Garrett Headland into our faces <laughs> over yeah. and over again. And my apologies to Olivia Munn's fandom and Olivia Munn. My comments are only reflective of her purpose in the new X-Men movie. And that's Which really not her fault seen. because Come they on, didn't man. give her a character to work with. How is Garrett Headland not that star? Oh, man. Uh, Garrett Headland. He had that He had that one line. That one line at Tron. You know the one. Nope. Oh, I think you need to say it, Patches. Hey, kid. Most track of time. Garrett. Garrett Hedlund is a much better star. He's much better than we're giving him credit for, and I stand by it, and eventually people will recognize it. Wow. Man, he's, he's good, good in the road. You think people are going to recognize him? No, way. I don't know. But I just like, I wait, like him. What was, what, wait, what recent movie was Garrett Hedlund in? Pan! That no, I probably not Pan. Yeah, Inside no. Llewyn Davis. Inside Davis. Yeah, and he, yeah, it's Inside Llewyn Davis. Yeah. And he doesn't speak. Oh, wait. And, and apparently, having just Googled him, he... Has been dating Kirsten Dunst, and they, they may up. have they broke up. That's a little while broken ago. up. Yeah, so, Joanna so. Robinson and I are. Oh there. man, I didn't want you to this... find out on air. <laughs> yeah, this segment about how uh, how we shouldn't watch Pan is really taking a sour turn. <laughs> and about how celebrity gossip matters, and how these people become stars. Uh, anyway, uh, Money Monsters. Oh, all right, and Jack O'Connell deserves to be a star, and I don't know how it's going to happen. Not from this movie. Here's the one final comment yeah. on okay. this. So, with the star system dead, with us like having these middle-grade people who float through movies, they come and go, and they're kind of famous, and they can open their movies. If we had to make Ocean's Eleven again, are we out of luck? Can you do Ocean's Eleven if it's not an Ant-Man sequel? Oh, boy. I mean, have you seen uh, Now You See Me 2? Um, My most anticipated no. movie this summer? And I will I not. think we're making Ocean's Eleven every summer, Patches. Oh, God. So Jesse okay. Eisenberg is our Matt Damon? Confirmed. Hey, yeah, and uh, what is it? Our our Andy Garcia is Daniel Radcliffe. Yikes! Is really? That how it goes? I haven't actually seen. Now you see me no too, has. but it hasn't come out I'm not yet. sure of the plot, but I'm down. But he's he's in it, but yeah, no, we just we we no, take you, we pull from could, our things. But like, and there are a lot of movies that have like recognizable communities of celebrity where like another person shows up in a cameo and you just laugh because it's like ah there they are like they're doing their thing uh but I, oceans 11 i think is uh, of course being a remake of the rap of the rat pack movie 
is a throwback to a different kind of stardom using the last embers of that same stardom. Right. Uh, that same quality of stardom. Mm. And so, no, I don't really think you could make it with the same kick. I'll wait for the Vine Star version of Ocean's oh, Eleven. Oh, Jesus Christ. Ocean's yeah. Six Seconds. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That does it for today's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back later this week talking about Money Monster and maybe a few other movies. There's a lot opening this week. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I am Matt Patches. I am the senior entertainment editor of Thrillist.com. I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Patches, and we have a website, FightingInTheWarRoom.com. We mentioned it earlier. Because people can leave short comments, long comments, happy comments, angry comments, all sorts of comments. And we read them, and we'll even comment back if you go in there. I wrote, I don't know. I was like out of my mind writing comments in our comment section. You had a great weekend. It was great. I had a lot to do this week. Uh, Fighting in the War Room. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I am the senior film critic of IndieWire. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. If you really want to get a head start in your movie going season, my review of X-Men Apocalypse is already live on the site. Uh, And since I'm not going to be on the review episode this week, I urge you, if you are in New York or wherever else it might be, to watch Terrence Davies' new film, Sunset Song, which is absolutely beautiful. Uh, And you can find all of us together on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room. We will read your comments and then mock them. I'm Dave Gonzalez, spell my first name DA70, I write at latino-review.com and geek.com I'm also on Twitter at that thing I spelled out Man, this is the first time I screwed up my outro in a long time. Uh, I also do this show called Storm of Spoilers, it's about Game of Thrones, it's Game of Thrones season, it is an awesome little show we do over there If you like crazy speculation about what's gonna happen now that that person's back and that direwolf's dead but which direwolf? You have to listen to find out. I mean, I think we know which one. Okay. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com and on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. I promise I'm not going to only uh, plug my other podcasts in this. But this week, Joanna Robinson, who you all know and love, is going to be co-hosting Little Gold Men with me. So it's a great time to subscribe and listen to us talk about all kinds of things, including the Oscars. And also some Game of Thrones and who knows what else. Uh, and elsewhere, you can follow all of us on Twitter at FITWR. That stands for Fighting in the War Room. Well, we'll talk to you where we'll hear your feedback about whether or not we talk over each other too much in reviews. And you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of the lobster, what's the best movie that makes being single seem perfectly okay? Thanks for listening and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. Friday.